The chronology, the calendar of Jesus' life, Jesus is involved in ministry here on earth for about three and a half years. We are at about the three-year point in Jesus' life. In just a few weeks, he's going to be going to the cross. And so Jesus is really pouring himself into his disciples and teaching them what they need to know to walk with him. And so I wonder what it would be like just to see what one day was like for Jesus. What happened during one day? And John gives us a look at that. Actually, most of chapter 8 in John, all of chapter 9, and the first half of chapter 10 all happens in one day. So think about what one of your days was like. What was yesterday like for you? What was Friday like for you? What went on in your day? Well, let's see what happened to Jesus. And this is why I wanted you to have your Bibles open so you can, you can kind of look at this. If you go to uh, John chapter 8, Jesus starts talking about that he is the light of the world. Sounds like a really good message for people to know. He is the light of the world. But in the process of that, he gets involved in a controversy with the Jewish leaders. Because he used the statement, I am. I am the light of the world. And that immediately let the the, the Jewish leaders know that Jesus was referring back to the book of Exodus. When Moses said, who should I say is sending me? And God at the burning bush said to him, the I am that I am sent you. And when Jesus said, I am, the people knew that he was saying, he is God. He also gets into this controversy with, um, uh, about that Jesus was around before Abraham. Now, we may not have all the chronology and the history of the Bible together. Uh, we, may not, we may not understand all, all the, 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 the timing on this. But Abraham lived thousands of years ago, and Jesus is saying that he was around before that. And so the Jewish leaders are in this turmoil because Jesus is saying, I am God. And that's heresy. So as Jesus' day goes on, just a normal day in the life of Jesus, what ends up happening is the people and the Jewish leaders try to stone Jesus. And what stoning means is there's rocks and there's a pile of things and they start throwing them at him. And in some cases, when that happens, the person is there until they die. Jesus was able to pass through the crowds and walk away from all this. And he goes on. And man, if, if, if I went through that experience, here I am teaching like, I'm, I'm assigned here to preach today, and then all of you start getting your tomatoes out and throwing them at me. I th- and, and if I can get out of here, you know, sneak out one of these doors, I don't think I'd be coming back real soon. But what Jesus does next is he encounters a blind man. And this is that really interesting, thrilling story of Jesus seeing this man who was born blind, and he takes, he spits in the, in the dirt, makes some mud, 
puts it on Jesus' eyes, or on, the, on this man's eyes. He touches, he touches this man's eyes, and he heals him. Which then creates an entire new controversy. Jesus had been before got in trouble because he said, I am God. And he said, I've been around longer than your father Abraham. And you think, he does another great thing. He heals this man who's been blind all of his life. And the Jewish leaders find out about that. These are the ones that just tried to throw rocks at him. And it creates this whole controversy. Check with his parents. Find out if this is the same one. Is this the same one that was blind? Why can he see now? How can he see? How does all that happen? And Jesus goes on, and we get to chapter 10. And what Jesus starts to do is he teaches again, and this time, about the good shepherd. Now, probably most of us have not been around sheep. We don't know what the job of the shepherd is. But the job of the shepherd was a very common one at that time. And the shepherds who were good had a real care for their sheep. And so Jesus starts this teaching about the good shepherd. And we're going to look at that in more depth in just a little bit. But do you see what he's doing? He's taking the Jewish leaders without saying it, who are the bad shepherds, and saying, I am the good shepherd. He's going to show the difference between those that are trying to abuse the sheep and, 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 and just not do things right. And he's saying, I am the good shepherd. In contrast to what happened, this all happens within one day. And so it's just this amazing passage of John chapter 10 where various threads come together in the life and the account of Jesus. Some of these threads will continue on past this chapter, but as they intersect here, we can see some wonderful things about Jesus. This is a continuation from John chapter 8 where Jesus says, I am before Abraham existed. Things are coming together here. It's the controversy. It's continuing on. And Jesus is standing his ground and saying, this is who I am. One of the amazing things that we find about God in the Bible, and Jesus, is the, the, the Son of God, Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, one of the amazing things that we find about them is God is not trying to stay hidden. You know how when you're a child, you might play that game, hide-and-go-seek? You go, you go hide someplace, and the other person comes to find you? Well, I have a three-year-old granddaughter, and her way to play hide-and-go-seek is to be sure that you find her. She doesn't hide very well. She'll leave part of herself uncovered from a blanket. Or if you spend too much time trying to find her, Grandma, Grandma, I'm here! You know, and she starts talking and letting you know, God's not trying to hide! He's trying to make himself known. And that's one of the things that that is going on here. Jesus is making himself known so that the people then and we today can know without a doubt 
who he is. And so this little story, this little narrative that's been going on now for about three chapters kind of comes to a head in this passage, and we get to see this life, this day in the life of Jesus. The next thing that I see going through, and this this thread starts before chapter 8 and continues on um, past chapter 10, but the I am statements. There are seven times in the book of John where Jesus says, I am. And you need to realize that what's going on there in the, in, in the original language is that is one of the names for God. And so when he says, I am, he's saying, I am God. And he's giving us something that we can understand to help us understand something that we don't know. And so he gives us seven times he talks about that. And we're going we're gonna to look at that in just a moment. We're going to go real fast through it. But I want you to see the I am statements of John, of the book of John. And then the third thread that we have coming through here is we have the thread of the good shepherd. This is a thread that goes through the Bible in many places. John, or, uh, uh, Psalms 23 would be one of those places where we see the shepherd aspect of who God is. And the concept of the shepherd helps us understand both God and how we should live now. And so we'll come back and we'll look at that in just a moment. But first of all, what I want to do is I just want to real quick, this is, not the, this is sort of a bonus for you this morning, I want to just acknowledge these seven I am statements. Each one of these could be an entire sermon. Each one of these could be an entire book. And so I just want to make sure that you're aware of that they are here. Um, in fact, in my Bible, I have them highlighted so that I can, can find them. And, and the first one, once again, Jesus is not trying to stay hidden. He's trying to tell us that he is like something that is very common, something that you know something about already. He's taking the unknown and trying to make it known. And the first one, he says, I am the bread of life. Everybody know what bread is? In their culture, it was one of the most common types of food. And so Jesus is simply saying, as you have this staple of food, something that you need every day, I am that to you spiritually. I think if the Bible was written in this part of the world, he might be the rice of life. But I am the bread of life. The second one is the, is the one that I've already talked about, is that uh, I am the light of the world. Light is necessary for us to uh, find our way around. We can come from darkness into light, and there's that, that uh, motif that goes through the Bible of darkness and light. And Jesus is saying that he is the light of the world. Jesus compares himself with the door as he's talking about the sheepfold here. It could be the door or the gate to the sheepfold. And Jesus clearly says, as the door is the proper way in, Jesus is the proper way to God for salvation. And so you need to look, look at that. Um, we, and we have the Good Shepherd. We're going to talk about that more in, in just a moment. Um, and then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's giving a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in just, just a few weeks. He's going to die. He's going to rise again, which becomes the down payment, the earnest money to show 
that we can have resurrection and life. And then very clearly he, he comes and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He gives three statements here all together in John chapter 14. He makes this bold statement so there's no confusion about who he is and what he intended to do when he came here to this earth. He is the way to God. He is the truth. He is the life. And as we learn about each one of these things, we can learn things about Jesus. And then the last one, he says, I am the true vine. The vine was a common crop then, the vine going into a grapevine. He is the true vine, the correct vine, the right vine that takes us to God. And so each of these seven I am statements helps us to understand who Jesus is. And this thread is woven all through this passage. But what I want to focus on, what I want you to take away from here, is the Good Shepherd. We want to talk a little bit about the Good Shepherd. Remember, the Good Shepherd is contrasted with what's been going on by the other shepherds. These leaders in Israel, these Jewish leaders, are supposed to be the shepherds, the ones who care for the people. And they're making it so difficult. And so what he's, what he's doing here, what Jesus is doing, is just giving something to show the difference of how God wants us to live and how God wants us to understand who He is. So Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Let's look at some of those characteristics because I want you to fully grasp what kind of shepherd it is that we have as our Lord and Savior. One of the first things that we see in the, in the passage of Scripture uh, here in John chapter 10 is that the sheep are cared for within a sheep pen. There's a safe place for them to be. There's a safe place for them to live at night. There's a safe place for them to go to when there's danger out there. And in that, these sheep have salvation because the shepherd has provided that for them. Now, of these eight characteristics, you, you can see them in your handout. Um, of these eight characteristics, seven of them we can do. This one we cannot. We cannot provide salvation. At least not in the way spiritual sense that we're talking about here. But we can prioritize salvation. So we're going to come back and talk about this again, about how it applies to us and how we can model what it is that Jesus is doing. So when we think about salvation, the salvation that was provided for us, where we were able to come and have a relationship with God because of the salvation of Jesus Christ. We can prioritize that salvation to the people around us. Something else we see in this shepherd is that he lives as an example. Now he can't become one of the sheep. There's a difference between a human shepherd and, and the animal of the sheep. But you'll see in John chapter 10 verse 4 that the shepherd goes before the sheep. The shepherd goes first, leads the way, 
helps them know which way to go. And so this shepherd provides that example. And we'll find out that we don't tell our sheep to do something that we ourselves aren't doing. We provide that example. The shepherd is trustworthy. Now the way this worked for the, for the, um, for the shepherds of that day is several shepherds would put their sheep from separate flocks into the same sheep pen. They could pool their resources with the... <coughs> Sorry. They could pool their resources with um, working with the sheep. But in the morning when it was time to go out, the shepherd would speak and the relationship had been built with the sheep, with the sheep and they knew their shepherd's voice. They knew that they could trust him. And so the shepherd was trustworthy to the sheep. The fourth thing that we see is that the shepherd provided for the needs of their sheep. The shepherd knew where the good pasture was and would take the sheep there. There's something amazing about sheep. If you leave sheep in the pasture long enough, they will eat the grass until they eat the roots and there is no more then that pasture is no good. The shepherd would have to take the sheep on. They might be very comfortable. They might like it where they are. Oh, Mr. Shepherd, this is such a wonderful place to be. Let's keep eating the grass here. And the shepherd's saying, no, we need to move on. We need to climb this hill and go to the next pasture. Because the shepherd knows where to go. And the shepherd is providing for the needs of the sheep. We see that the shepherd has a sacrificial attitude. In the Psalms, we hear David talking about being a shepherd, and that in that time, he killed a lion and a bear. He put his own life on the line to take care of the sheep. He was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And that's what Jesus is going to do in just a couple weeks as we follow through his life. He's going to lay down his life for the sheep. The shepherd is invested in the well-being of the sheep. He's not the hired hand. He's not the one um, who is just there for his eight-hour shift or his ten-hour shift and he goes on. These sheep, he has an, uh, uh, an invested interest in them. And he cares for his sheep. He wants the sheep to grow and be strong. And he cares for them. It's personal with him. He knows them. And that's what we see next. We see this relational bond that's built between the shepherd and the sheep. This is not just something that I come and do to, to fulfill my obligation. This is something I do because those sheep are precious to me. They're important. And he has that relationship with them where he knows his sheep and the sheep know him. And the last one, I had to look at this a little bit. But he's a visionary leader. This shepherd is not content to say, well, I have these sheep within the fold. These sheep are my flock. Jesus, we find looking ahead saying, there are sheep that are not yet in my pen, and I must bring them also. 
And so this shepherd has a vision for what's going to happen. Where these, what's going to happen with these sheep and how we can bring more sheep into the fold. And so these eight characteristics are something that we can learn about Jesus and who He is and how we can trust Him and how we can face storms in life and we know that He's the one that we call on. And so that's where I want to go with this. I want to say, what can we learn from this passage? First of all, I just want to say, there's a whole lot that we can learn about Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am the Good Shepherd. All these characteristics and more let you know what Jesus is like. He's there to care for His sheep. Now, who are His sheep? His sheep are those who follow Him. His sheep are those who call on Jesus' name, who know Him as Savior. And so all of us who know God through Jesus Christ are His sheep. And this is the shepherd we have. He's not a hard taskmaster. I have this example that that I kind of illustrate what a good shepherd is like. Forgive me if I've shared this before, but when I was um, in high school... There was a man in our church, he was a new believer, and he, he owned a restaurant, and he was, he was learning much about following God. And uh, I was in about grade 11, and I started working in his restaurant, the restaurant owner. We had a, this, this fish restaurant, seafood restaurant, and uh, his name was Hank. Hank hired a man to be the manager of that restaurant. And it was very interesting what would happen. Some days the manager would be there and sometimes Hank would be there. And we, would, we were located in this, in this small mall and we'd have these busy times. And they wouldn't want to hire enough staff you know, for, for, so that we can staff the busy time, the whole shift. You just kind of hire for what you can. And I remember back there as one of the cooks back there, and we got one of these busy times. And the manager was back at the table in the far corner of the dining area, and he was just kind of taking notes. Let's see, the line's getting kind of long. Is the food coming out quick enough? And after the busy time, he'd come back and let us know all the things that we did wrong. (laughs) I liked it when Hank was there, though, the owner. Because he'd be sitting back in the back corner of the restaurant doing his paperwork and doing different things and taking care of it. But when a a busy time came, he would come back to the kitchen and said, Stan, how can I help? Invested in the process. Invested in what was going on. And that's the Savior that we have. He's not standing off someplace just waiting to trip us up just waiting for us to do wrong. He's here as a shepherd to be with us. Get to know your shepherd so you can hear his voice when he speaks. Know that you can trust your shepherd in those times when it gets to be hard. Know that this is the shepherd that we have to serve. And so from this passage, from these few verses, we can learn so much about who Jesus is. 
The next thing that I see is we can learn how to be a shepherd disciple maker. You see, being a disciple maker is something that God calls us to. In Matthew chapter 28, it talks about going and making disciples. Who is supposed to do that? Those who know Jesus are to become disciple makers. It's a mandate, something that we're called from Scripture to do. We are to be disciple makers. Well, how do you do that? What was impressed upon me from this passage of Scripture is that we do it as a shepherd. We take the characteristics of a shepherd. You can use this list of eight. You can use other lists. But we take the characteristics of a shepherd and transfer that to our relationship with disciples. People that we are trying to help become like Jesus. That's what we try to do with these people who come to Christ as the candle is lit. We don't want to leave them out on their own. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to grow with Jesus. An amazing thing that I find going on here in Scripture, I, I said this a few weeks ago in a message, but Jesus gives us the model for how to be disciple makers. He tells us what we're supposed to do. He's been telling the disciples for weeks and months here as they've been been traveling with them. And as they get to about a year, a little over a year, in their time with him, he, he goes from telling to showing, gets them involved in the ministry. Tell, show. And what's the next thing he has them do? They do. They get involved. They go out. They do what Jesus is telling them to do. So when we see commands here in Scripture, when we see an account in Scripture, that's not just so we have a nice bedtime story for our kids. It's so that we have the example so that we can follow it and do it. Tell, show, do. Then you evaluate and go out and do again. And that's the model that we have. Jesus is doing it here for for His disciples. He's teaching them here. And we are learning how to be a disciple maker as we look at the shepherd of who Jesus is. I showed you the difference between a shepherd employer and one who is just an employee. It's the attitude. It's what goes on. And so we can take that same difference, whether we are an employer or an employer, a servant, a teacher, a parent, in any of the ways where we are a a shepherd, disciple maker, we can follow this example. Now let's take this for just a little bit. By the way, um, I have difficulty preaching. Because preaching is pretty much me standing up here and talking to you. I really like getting feedback, and I appreciate how many of you are giving me eye feedback and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I really like the classroom setting. Because what I would do at this point in a classroom is I would have you start applying some of this. And I would say, in what situation are you a disciple maker? And some people would look at me and say, What do you mean? I'm not a disciple maker. 
I don't do that. That's what we do in church. We send them to church to have that done. And I say, no, think about it just a little bit. Do you know Jesus? Do you know one thing about Jesus? Can you teach that to someone else? You see, the Christian life is not the idea that we accumulate just tons and tons of head knowledge. And when your head gets big enough, God calls you home. Everything we learn, we're to put into practice. And so if you know one thing, are you putting that into practice? Can you teach that to one other person? Good, you're a disciple maker. That's what God's calling us to. So what would be some of these situations where you might be a disciple maker? Well, maybe one of the children's ministry teachers here. We have a, we have a bunch of them up, upstairs. Are they doing that because, oh, somebody has to do it. Pastor Stan asked me, it's my week, I got kids, I guess I need to do that. Or do we have a heart for those sheep where we want to see their lives changed? We're looking at them holistically and saying, what can happen here? It's not just communicating a bunch of information, but it's shaping lives. Becoming a model for that class for the students that are there so that they can see Jesus in you. You know, I've gone to Sunday school nine months longer than I am old. Figure that out, okay? I've been to Sunday school for a long time. I remember Sunday school. See, my family moved a lot, so I can kind of tell where Sunday school was by what city we were living in at that time. In grade one Sunday school, I cannot tell you a single thing that was taught to me. Isn't that fantastic? We're trying to get you to be Sunday school teachers and you grow up and you can't remember a single thing. And look, he's the pastor. But you know what? Mrs. Kellogg was our teacher. And I must have learned my memory verse every week because if you did, you got a Bible. And Mrs. Kellogg took us to our house and what we would call it here, we had a barbecue in our backyard. And Mr. Kellogg was there. And I know that somebody loved me. It was connected with God and connected with the church. Not because they taught a lot of stuff, but because they loved us as kids. I went to something called Boys Brigade, uh, similar to Awana. I went there at the same church. Mr. Henry was my leader, and he loved us. He had a hobby of having model trains. And Mr. Henry gave us boys some model trains. And I had that hobby for a little while. And I remember that Mr. Henry loved us. And so when we're in these situations, we need to see it as an opportunity to be a shepherd, disciple maker, not just a babysitter, crowd control expert, or teacher of the week and someone else will be in next week. It's a precious opportunity to impact lives. Now something immediately happens here. Because if I'm not sure what God wants me to do, I'll start saying, well, yes, I'll be Sunday school teacher in this class, and then I'll do this group, and then I'll do this group. And all of a sudden, instead of 
three, four, five sheep to shepherd, I'm managing 20 people. Sometimes we need to narrow our focus and be with them more frequently so that we can be the shepherd to them, not just the manager of the event. Because what we want is we want sheep, we want disciples who follow Jesus. Do you see how this works? It takes disciple maker and it tells us how to do it. We do it as the loving shepherd. So you could do that as a, as a children's worker or Sunday school teacher, whatever's going on there. You know, you can do this as a parent. Matter of fact, I believe it's one of your primary callings if you have children. One of the primary things that God wants to do is for you to be the shepherd, disciple maker of your children. The parenting class that's going on um, is using a, a video series by Tony Evans. And he says the goal of parenting is not to make little people who look like you, it's to make little people who look like God. The primary responsibility that we have as a parent is to see that our children and grandchildren come to know Jesus and live for Him. How do we do that? We prioritize transferring godly principles to them over all else. We let the children see me as the parent modeling in a very intentional way what we're trying to teach them. My walk with God. I mean, if anybody's going to know you, it's going to be your children. You can't hide from them. You live in the same house. They see you. Do they learn to live for God because of what they see in you? Building those intentional relationships during those informal times. When does Deuteronomy tell us to teach children? When they rise up, when they go to bed, when you walk on the highway, when you're going different places. We teach at all times. It's not, oh, let's do the Sunday morning thing here and we're going to teach you to be a disciple and then six and a half days a week we just live any way we want. And so we have some of these, some of these relationships, some of these opportunities to make disciples as we follow the idea of being a shepherd. What happens if you're a community group leader? And I don't want to let the participants of the community group off too. Because if you're all followers of Christ, you should be good sheep. But community group leaders, do you know the needs of your people? The AFF have, have groups, um, both on Saturday and Sunday. Do you know where your sheep are? Do you know if they're hurting? Do you know if they have a need? Do you know what they need to hear? Where they need to grow? Do they need to go to a new pasture? Is there some new challenge that you need to give to them? And then I'd say that there's sometimes there's intentional discipleship relationships. It could be one-on-one. We're trying to match people up with everyone who comes to Christ. Now some of that's going to be a little hard because we don't want you getting into the prison um, other than as a volunteer there and you come back, back out. Um, but in situations where we know the people, where they come back and we have um, um, a further opportunity with them, we have discipleship material and we want you to be following up with the people one-on-one or in a small group. And so there's all kinds of settings where you can be a disciple maker. 
And what I want you to do is to see that you do that as a shepherd, with a shepherd's heart. And what I'd encourage you to do is to take the list of eight. That's why I put them on, the, on your handout sheet. Take that list of eight and find ways to very intentionally carry out, the, uh, carry out each one of those. Now, if you see on your handout paper, uh, it says questions and, uh, for thought and discussion on the back. What I did is on number three of those uh, questions and thought is, as I say, write down ways you can apply the eight characteristics above to the person or people you are responsible to be a shepherd disciple maker. First of all, who is someone that you need to be a shepherd disciple maker to? Can you write a name down? A specific name. Is it your child? Is it your children? Is it your neighbor? Is it your coworker? Is it a family member? Write down at least one name of who God is calling you to be a shepherd disciple maker to. And then just think and pray through each of those eight categories to see what that means for you. And I just tried to give an example. I put down my children. And then I, I have a statement after each, uh, after two of the, the first two, I'm just giving it as an example. One of the things that I want to do is I want to prioritize salvation. I can't provide salvation, but I can make it a priority in their life, in our family's life. And so you can see what I wrote there. This is just an example. These can become goals for you, or these can become prayers for you for what God wants to do. The second thing is, do I live as an example? Because one of the characteristics of a shepherd is to live as an example. And you can see what I have written down there. I would challenge you to write these things down. Put them someplace where you can access them. Put it in, in your Bible. Put it on your phone in, in, the, in the memo. Put it someplace where you can go to it and use it as your prayer guide for your disciples, for your sheep so that you can see them moving. You'll be updating this from time to time. You'll be adding things to it. You'll be crossing things off because they've reached that goal. But I challenge you, for the sheep, pick at least one. You may have three children. You're going to have all three of them down there. You may have a small group, a community group of five people, and you write them down. You may be teaching a class. You may be mentoring one of the teenagers. Get to know them as a shepherd. Because this is not, the Bible is not just this theoretical book that gives us nice stories. It gives us an example for us to follow. And in this case, we have some real concrete things that we can do. And so I just challenge you to do that. It would be so exciting to start hearing about groups buzzing here and there of, oh, I have this, this sheep, I'm doing this with this disciple, I'm doing that. And the concern that's happening there is what's going to cause you to grow and them to grow. So I just want to wrap it up with this saying. I tried to say, okay, what does this sermon mean? How do you wrap it up? What does it say? Jesus contrasted himself with the religious leaders of the day by using the illustration of a good shepherd. Because of this, we can have great trust in Jesus, our good shepherd, 
And Jesus laid down his life for us, his sheep. Do you see that? That's the Jesus that we serve. You can have that. That's who he is. We can rejoice in that. And there's a second part to that. We can use the model of the Good Shepherd to guide our interactions with ones that we disciple. There's an assumption there. We are discipling someone. And probably you are, and you may not even know it. We are discipling someone. Our children, family members, community group, church, co-workers, friends, put whoever you want in that list. The role of shepherd guides us in how we fulfill the mandate to be disciple-makers. What I read from Scripture is we don't have a question of, well, I might be a disciple-maker, I might not be a disciple-maker. I can elect this, I can vote for it, I can say yes when I want to and no when I don't want to. God tells us to be a disciple-maker. The question should be, how? Not if. And I think the how is answered so beautifully here in the Good Shepherd. Be a good shepherd to your disciples. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, you want us to know you. You want us to follow you. And you lived among your disciples, the physical 12 disciples. You lived there among them. Now you're teaching again the importance of the good shepherd. The one who loves his sheep. The one who cares for his sheep. The one who's concerned for their spiritual well-being. The one that gives them the spiritual food they need to grow and be nourished. Oh Lord, we're so thankful for who Jesus is. We're thankful for that model that he has for us as parents, as group leaders, as teachers, wherever you call us, the people that you place us with, may we truly be the good shepherd to them. Model this example of Jesus. We give you the praise now. In Jesus' name, amen.